It's wonderful to see all of you here tonight. Great to have you. We're excited to announce another new course has been released. Our social emotional learning high school course has been released. So make sure and check that out featuring our very own Dr. Page Monet. So you'll, you'll enjoy that. Let's uh, get it over for the technology spotlight and Dr. John. Oh, oh, there you are. Have you ever felt like you needed a better way to know which way you're facing? Well, I've got some good news. We're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about gyroscopes. And gyroscopes are things that uh, can tell which way they're turning. Well, how about I just show you? Yeah, I brought one right here. This is a gyroscope. And essentially, there's a little wheel here that spins. And while it's spinning, then it opposes a change in direction. And so if I move it right now, you can see how the wheel just moves however I turn. Now, let me go ahead and spin it. Here we go. Just love live demos. There we go. Got it going. Now I'm going to pick it up. It's spinning. Now watch what happens when I turn. See how it stays turned the exact same way? And then even if I do some of this, it's staying tipped the same way as well. Isn't that cool? Well, gyroscopes are really neat. There are a lot of really neat things you can do with them. And one of the things is to help keep track of which direction uh, you're facing. If you look at this picture, this is an instrument that we use in airplanes. It's called a heading indicator. And it tells which way the airplane is facing. And you'll notice how it has uh, N and E and S and W. Those are north, east, south, and west. So it's a lot like a compass. And you're probably thinking, well, why don't the pilots just use a compass? And it turns out they have a compass too. But if you've ever been trying to read a compass while you're flying and the compass is bouncing around, you can't hardly tell what direction it's, it's uh, pointing. Plus, when you do a big turn in the airplane, the compass is either showing ahead of where you are or behind where you are, and you need something more stable and accurate to run all the time. But if you look at that picture again, you'll notice that little knob down in the corner. That's so the pilot can tune the heading indicator to be the same as the compass. So when they find a nice level spot where they're flying and the compass isn't wobbling everywhere, they can tune their heading indicator to show the same thing as the compass. Now, the neat thing is that behind that heading indicator, there's a gyro. Take a look at this. You can kind of see inside, get an idea of how this works functionally. See that wheel is spinning, keeping track of exactly the same direction that they're facing. And so when the plane turns, the gyro stays the same, and it makes the little indicator turn. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Uh, but one of the tricky problems with gyros being used like this is that you have to keep tuning it to make it match uh, what you're actually facing. And so that accuracy of the gyro is a really big deal. In fact, we can take this a step further, and uh, nowadays we all have little gyros inside of our phones and uh, gadgets, and they use it for things like uh, self-driving cars or autonomous robots. And usually those use GPS to kind of keep track of where they are. But what happens when the autonomous car drives under 
a tunnel that goes underground. All of a sudden, it loses GPS signal. And uh, it's kind of like a normal driver, a person, if you covered their eyes, right? You know, ah, <laughs> where am I? <laughs> and uh, so they can actually use a gyro in that case to keep track of which way they're pointed. And then they can use accelerometers, which are uh, devices that measure acceleration, how much you're changing speed. And together with a set of gyros and a set of accelerometers, they can use dead reckoning to keep track of where the robot or the car is. In fact, the military uses this in their submarines that are underwater for a long time because they don't get GPS down there. And so they have really accurate gyros and accelerometers to try to calculate exactly where they are. Well, if you take a gyro like what's in your smartphone and try to do this, it'll work sort of. But really quickly, within a few minutes, it'll be dramatically off. And you need a really expensive gyro in order to do this type of dead reckoning accurately. Until now. <laughs> and that's our tech of the week. We're going to talk about a new little gyro that the University of Michigan has been working on that is 10,000 times more accurate than the classic little gyros inside of your smartphones. And take a look at this. It's also still. Uh, 10 times as small as the really expensive gyros that can do the same thing. You see, that's a quarter that it's sitting on. It's teensy. It's about the size of a postage stamp. And what you're looking at is actually a little glass uh, dome. They, they call it an upside-down birdbath because it's kind of that shape. And uh, it's interesting because not all gyros spin. The one that I showed you was spinning, but actually these teensy-tiny gyros vibrate. And then they look at the changes in vibration in order to tell if it's moving one way or the other. So that glass dome is actually um, real, made out of glass, but it also has a coating of metal on it. And then if you look carefully, you can see the little things around it, those little blocks. Those are electrodes that they use to get that glass dome vibrating. Once it starts vibrating, it'll keep vibrating for up to five minutes when it's inside of the, the little case that they put this in. And uh, so because of how well it vibrates and how they can sense little teeny changes really accurately, they can measure things like the rotation of the Earth. Remember, the Earth is going around. And the, if the gyro is keeping track of its position, you would be able to measure that. So it's pretty amazing what they can do. Uh, here's another picture of the little upside-down bird bath inside of its case, only it doesn't have the lid on. There's a lid that goes to this little component that uh, they put on, and then they suck out all of the air, so it's in a vacuum. And it's more accurate when it's in a vacuum because there's no air to interfere with it. So this is some pretty neat technology. It's going to enable things like uh, robots that can map out a cave underground where there's no GPS or ways that uh, autonomous cars can operate better in tunnels, too. But also, what about inside of uh, buildings, like homes and big, uh, you know, big shopping centers and places like that where you don't get very good GPS signal? But this technology will work really well there, won't it? So there's a lot of neat things that we can do with this, and it's exciting stuff. And that's all the tech we have the time for. Maybe this can help me find my seat. Let's see. <laughs>
Now it's time for Breakthroughs in Science with Tobias. All right. Well, you need to get ready because tonight's a little bit dangerous with the breakthrough because we're talking about the zap. Now, what does the zap mean? It can mean a lot of things. It can mean a cleaner brand for your home. It could, if you ask bugs what it means, if you go to bug heaven, they know all about the zap. Um, <clears throat> how'd you die? Oh, there's this blue light and then zap. Um, but we're talking about specifically the zap in relation to something called the Leyden jar. The Leyden jar. Now that, I know that sounds something like out of a pioneer's diary. Our jars were laden with jam and honey. But that is not the Leyden jar we're talking about. We need to go the jokes don't get better, so <laughs> you better enjoy it. We need to go to the 1700s when they were exploring this thing of electricity. And at the time, they, they knew, enough, knew enough about it that it was assumed it was this electrical fluid or flame that was kind of a magical thing. And at the time, they, they had already figured out that they could produce a static electric charge with a static generator, a static electrical generator. And basically what they would do is they would have something they'd spin, and usually they'd put their hand on it, and that rubbing would start to create a static charge. And then sometimes they could get a little zap from it. Okay? Well, that's where we start tonight. And we're talking about a guy named Peter von Muschenbroek. And he wanted to take this a step further. Rather than just create, as they, they termed it, create electricity, he wanted to create electricity and store it. So what are you going to store electricity? Well, get a jar, right? So he gets a jar, a glass jar, puts water in it. Then he puts a cork in the top and puts a nail through the cork into the water and the nail sticking out the top still. And he's going to try and capture the electricity inside this jar of water. So he has an assistant. That's always nice. <laughs> Hold the jar. And the assistant holds the jar. If you look at this picture, next to the electric static generator. You can see the hands on the generator ball as it's spinning. And the idea was that the electric charge would go, touch the nail, and go into the water. So the assistant stood there holding it, holding it, holding it. Nothing happened, nothing happened. Unfortunately, nothing happened until the assistant touched with their other hand that top of the nail. And zap! And it was, I mean, I can't clap loud enough for how intense it was if you asked the assistant. He probably had another assistant after then. Um, <clears throat> because it was so intense that when, when um, Mischenbrook decided to do this himself, he actually had such an intense charge inside of him. You, know, you have to realize up to this point, the way that they would um, think of or measure the electrical charge they had made was to touch it. That's how you, I mean, it was like a chef. If, you, if a chef makes soup, he's going to try it. If you, are at this time, are working on electricity, you're going to touch it to feel the zap. That was kind of, that's, and they called them electricians. Well, this was now not a good time to be an electrician <laughs> because it was so much more intense, the, the, the zap that he would receive. In fact, he wrote his friend, and he said that it was so bad, he will never do it again. He probably had assistants do it, but he will never do it again. And Muschenbroek, and he said, not even for all of the kingdoms of France. That pretty much sums it up right there. <laughs> well... You, you would think, so now Europe's done with electricity, but unfortunately, no. Apparently, the moment they heard it was terrible, everybody wanted to try it. And so this took Europe by storm, and people started to try and recreate this experiment. I want to feel that strong zap. And most people, they did it once, 
Um, but they started to do events where people would travel with these jars. Somebody decided to start selling them, and he, he created one, and he named it after the city that Muschenbroek was from, Leiden. So he named it the Leiden Jar. He could have named it the Muschenbroek Jar, but that sounds like the jar broke. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's also hard to spell. But the, the Leiden Jar, and it, that's what it was. It was playing with this, this zap. In fact, they, they did it for the King of France, and they had over 100 soldiers take hands, and then w the one on the end held the jar, and the one on the other end took their finger and touched it. But guess what? It wasn't just that soldier. Everyone in the circle of hands jumped because they all got the zap, <laughs> this magical zap. But nobody knew what happened. In fact, Muschenbroek himself said, I have learned enough now about electricity that I now can say I know nothing. <laughs> and that's pretty much what it was. And it would take someone who wasn't even in Europe, a writer named Benjamin Franklin, to figure out what was going on. When he heard about this, he was very excited. And he wrote, you can read about some of his excitement. And he starts doing tests with this. And he comes up with a very different idea that he ended up being correct on. And that was, you're not creating electricity, this magical fire. You are creating an imbalance. And he's actually the one that coined the terms positive and negative charge. And the idea that you're actually moving this charge and creating an unbalance, and then the zap is when the balance levels itself out again and becomes neutral. Now, he didn't uh, get all the things that we now know, obviously, but the amount that he discovered was amazing. And he created Leyden jars. In fact, he created one, um, a set of Leyden jars. He, he was getting a turkey ready for Christmas, and he was going to use Leyden jars to zap it. Um, to kill it. That's very humane. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, he accidentally shocked himself and almost electrocuted himself to death because of it. And he wrote about it. He was sore for weeks after because of this intense. What was going on was, so let's go to the jar. When you're holding the jar and you have water in it and you start to get that static off of the generator and it's going from the nail into the water, electrons, which are negatively charged, go into the jar, okay? So now I'm getting a collection of electrons, negative charge in that water. Well, the glass around the water is an insulator. It can't go through the glass, and I'm holding the jar. Well, I can conduct the electricity, and as that buildup gets stronger and stronger of negative, negative repels negative. So the negative electrons in my hand start getting repelled, and eventually I start having just positive charge in my hand and in my body. I just have positive charge. So lots of neg negatives in here, lots of positives in me. And when negative sees positive through the glass, they're like, romance moment. They want to be with each other, and they can't. And it gets stronger and stronger. <laughs> and until finally I say, okay, let it begin. And I touch the nail at the top. When I do that, it bridges the two, and I feel the electrons balancing out and moving through me and filling out that positive area, and they call it neutral. And so that's what was happening. There was a, a charge inside of that jar, building up, building up, building up, and when I make the bridge, it would level out. Now, this would become very important in something we use everywhere today called capacitors. In fact, this is the basic building blocks of how capacitors work, because capacitors have two conductors inside of them, and they're separated. It's one of those sad love story moments where they can't get together because there's something in between. So we get a buildup of electrons on one side. And then when we 
connect the flow or we allow them to flow through something, they're able to connect again. Now, we're not going to get deep into capacitors, but just real quick, why is a capacitor a big deal? Why are they used so much? One of the things is, I mean, you can think of capacitors kind of like a battery, but they're different than from like a 9-volt, a AA. They don't chemically make electricity. They make it in a different way, and they s so they store it in a different way, and they charge and discharge differently much faster. Capacitors charge and discharge much faster than a battery, a normal battery. And if you think about, so a really good way of one really important use they are is if you have a water pipe and the water's coming out of the pipe and it's falling on the wheel and the wheel is spinning, okay? But it's one of those water pipes that gets bubbles sometimes and so it's not always consistent. So sometimes the water stops for a second, then it starts and then it comes out fast and it stops. So the wheel, if you work in that factory, um, it's not a reliable spin. So what if we took a tank and we put the tube going into a tank and then out the bottom of the tank we had a second tube going to that wheel. So now when the water comes into the tank, it starts filling up and it comes out the bottom. As long as there's some water in the tank, this pipe at the bottom is going to put water out. So even if this one up here isn't very reliable, but it keeps bringing some, we keep some in that tank, we'll keep it more consistent at the bottom. So that wheel will be much more happy and consistent. Will capacitors help with the flow of electricity in keeping it consistent? There's lots of other things about capacitors that we're not going to go into, um, but they're very important in today's electronics. So pretty much our electronics are laden with the technology of Leyden jars in a much more advanced scale. So pretty amazing evolution from something that was just this, this trick, magic trick, into something that literally helps power the world. So, And just in closing, if you're planning to have a turkey for Christmas, please use an oven. Thank you. <laughs>
So all we need now is some way to charge it up good. Any ideas? I think you've got it all figured out. <laughs> no, actually, if you're going to make static electricity, you need a static electricity generator. This is a piece of PVC, mm-hmm. which is a nickname. This is what we use in our pipes in our houses. And it, PVC is a nickname for polyvinyl chloride, mm-hmm. which means this is a pipe made out of a plastic-like material that is made out of chlorine gas. Do you know where chlorine comes from? Of course you do. Don't, don't be shy. It comes from salt. When you use electricity to pull a salt molecule apart, you get sodium on one side and you get chlorine coming out the other. It's interesting that the way we make chlorine is we run electricity through salt water or seawater. And on one electrode, out comes the chlorine, which is poisonous, but it also is what we use to make this plastic. And on the other electrode, guess what comes out? What? Hydrogen. You know that. (laughs) So why is it solid? Why is it solid? Mm -hmm. Because it's been polyvinylized. It's been reacted into a chemical form Mm -hmm. that is this special chloride that's neat stuff. But... If you happen to have a dish towel, and you know what it's made out of kind of matters, a lot of different kinds of cloth. A real good cloth for this is wool, if you happen to have some wool, but Mm -hmm. cotton works too. And what you do is you rub. I am now a generator. I'm now building up a charge. And, And you're saying, well, how in the world is he doing that? Yeah, how are you doing? I don't know, but it works. <laughs> it's pretty Maybe good, you're getting rid of all your negative feelings. That's what some of our kids think. She y'all, teaches this, doesn't she? And if you get a piece of PVC. <laughs> and you rub okay. it. <laughs> so let's talk about okay. it. This is kind of an interesting thing because this piece of PVC or plastic pipe, as I rub it through this cloth, rips electrons out of the molecules in the cloth. Electrons, those are little tiny minus charges, right? And so as I push this through, some of the electrons that were in, that were in there ended up on this tube. Can you hear them? Those are little shocks I got because as I touched this pipe, those little Electrons came charging into me. wasn't too bad a shock. <laughs> it wasn't really a zap. No, it wasn't a zap. We're not going to bug heaven or, or bug else. But, <laughs> bug off. But it's just interesting to think that you can do that. You can literally pull electrons out of a cloth. And, you know, I'm squeezing it tight so I really get those electrons and I rip them out. Can you hear them? I can hear it. Now, what I'm going to do, I'd like to do a test to see if I can get these now and start going in the jar. Okay, I'm putting extra electrons in that water. Now, you don't want to do this very many times because the charge is building up, and you don't want to kill the turkey, (laughs) right? 
but I do want to make sure that we know what a zap is. Okay, so get a good voltage on here. I think we're getting this charged up pretty good. Mm -hmm. Why'd you look at me when you say kill the turkey? <laughs> I love Thanksgiving. Hi. <laughs> okay, so we must have a very high voltage in there by now. Electric Electrons in their build up, build up. They want to get out. They're trapped. They can't get out. I don't want to get this too high. <laughs> Who's going to be your volunteer to try it? Uh, I think we should no. choose someone. <laughs> yeah, let's choose someone. Do you know that over in Europe, all the people, as soon as they heard how dangerous it was, they all wanted to try it. <laughs> I heard that. Could maybe you I'm, just hold I'm the not, bottom of that for me? Uh -huh, so. Maybe. Could, could, could you just hold the bottom of that for that. me a little bit, please? Sure. Thank you. Other hand, please. Okay, now, I'm just going to put one more charge into here. Okay, you do it. And I built this, and I've been wanting to know if it works, but <laughs> I had nobody to try it out. <laughs> okay, so now... Just gently touch your finger against that top ring and see if we can discover why they call it zap. Here we go, here we go. You really don't here like me, go, do here you? We go. No, I do. Did you feel it? No. Nope. It didn't work. Obviously, we need more charge. She's probably thick-skinned. <laughs> so, this is where... We put the homemade things aside, and we bring in some modern technology. <clears throat> now, if we can just zoom in here on this a little bit. Can you see these little pieces of glass in here? Watch what happens when I turn over. <laughs> fire, fire. <laughs> it's a wire here breathing giant electricity from the grid. And it's, can you see that? That's pretty cool. I can. It? That is very cool. Okay, so what I'm going to do is pull a little bit of that electric charge into here. Okay. Don't touch it okay. until I, well, you can touch the bottom. <laughs> you know, that's okay. You, you just hold that. Okay, so I'm going to turn this over and give it another good run. Here we go. And then I'm going to touch this on here and see if we can make, ooh, make that go right in there. Voltage going up. <laughs> Voltage going up. Am I supposed to feel something? Not until you touch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, whenever you're ready. No, oh. <laughs> please allow me. Okay, it worked. <laughs> it worked. Do you want to try that? No. She doesn't like shot. Isn't that pretty cool, I'll try though, it. isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if you want to try this at home and you don't have any PVC pipe, option B is a balloon. <laughs> right? Right. And if you take your same dish towel, make sure it's dry, by the way. And if it doesn't work, then get a different dish towel. Uh, sometimes they've got to be painted blue. Now, it doesn't matter what color. And you just rub it. And it starts charging up the balloon. Now, I need a volunteer with long hair. 
That's not me. I see one over what, there. What's your name? Do you want to come help me? Oh, there's a volunteer. Okay, this is pretty neat. This is a balloon, and it's a lot like the tubes. Yeah, come on up here. How are you doing tonight? You having a lot of fun? Okay, I'm going to stand up here, and I'm going to let you sit down, which would be just great. Right in that chair. So this is a balloon. Have you ever rubbed a balloon against your hair before? What happens? Talking to Mike. It's staticky, doesn't it? <laughs> so what happens is when you rub this in your hair, oh, I lost my microphone, got all staticky. Okay, when you do that, it pulls electrons out of your hair, and so your hair gets one charge, which is positive, and the balloon gets a negative charge, right? And what happens when you have negative and positive? They attract. So let's just try it. Should I rub this? Are you ready? Now, you just look around here a little bit. That's right. And smiles. So pretty. <laughs> so see what I'm doing? I am now pulling electrons out of her hair and building them up on the balloon. If you can see, her hair is starting to get charged positive, which means her hair wants to come and see me. Let's see what we could do now. Oh, there it goes. See how that works? That's pretty cool. Now... Yeah, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I'll tell you what, you've been such a good sport, I'm going to let you keep that balloon, okay? But this is actually pretty neat. Do you see what this is? I see it. I don't know what yeah, it is. This is a piece of plastic from a shopping bag. I just cut out a circle. And you can see it's nearly a perfect circle. <laughs> and... I'm going to take my same rag, and I'm going to do the same kind of pull the electrons out of the rag. So I'm actually making this little piece of plastic bag have a lot of electrons. Does that make sense? Okay. So it's kind of clinging to things here because it's all charged up. Do you think you come up here and help me for a minute? Let me get just a few more electrons out of here so it's really charged up. Now, what can we do with this? If this has a lot of extra electrons, and if I take electrons and put them on here, then I'm going to have electrons that repel electrons, right? So they shouldn't want to touch. Should we try it? Okay, throw it up for me. Can we do it? Whoa, 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 whoa. What are we talking about? It's kind of crinkled up there. You want to get it flattened out for me? We may need to charge again. Here we go. Go. Got to rub faster. Okay, we lost our charge. You want to charge it back up for me? Can you see how cool that is? So all the electrons in here are pushing all the electrons in there, and they're trying to push apart. Gravity's trying to pull it down, but will I let it? Let's see how I do this time. Here we go. Here we go. Go. <laughs> she charged that you up pretty good, it. didn't she? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's try this one more time. Hey, 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 don't give up. <laughs> we don't want to end up as a failure, do we? So this has to really be charged up in order to work, doesn't it? Okay, now you pick that up. I'll get this ready. 
you go. Over further. Right there. Okay, now just drop it. All right. Not working, is it? Do you want to know why? This isn't very good at giving off electrons. What if we had a piece of wool? Did anybody bring a piece of wool? Go find a coat. Go find a wool coat. If we had a wool coat, we could do some amazing things with this. Can you come back here again for a second, Ricky? Isn't this fun? This is science. I'm going to go get right. I'm gonna go find coat. Oh, no, this is fine. Let's see okay. if we can tell oh. if this is getting charged. Is it getting charged? Yeah. I hope you can all see that because I can see it. And she's actually got a charge there, doesn't she now? Maybe she comes and faces right If you were, go get your balloon. Go get her balloon. <laughs> the balloon is going to pull some of the electrons out of her hair, which makes it positive, which makes a stronger attraction. Try it. So you turn towards there, and on that side where you were, yeah, just rub it clear down. It's so nice to have volunteers so work with you, isn't it? Okay, she's getting lots. Oh, let's see what you got. Now we could probably take this balloon and use it to hold up your hair. But let's try it with this. Can you feel that? Oh, that's pretty good, isn't it? All right, well, thank you very much. Now we have a coat. So she's charging the coat. I'm going to use the coat. <laughs> a wool coat, 60%. Let's try it. See what we got. Here it goes. Drop it. Man, that's really good, isn't it? Okay. So just so rub it on there. Is supposed to make it levitate? What's the goal of it? Is it supposed to... We're doing research. We don't know. My hypothesis is... Wouldn't it be great if this would work? <laughs> yeah, okay. Like Try it one more time. Okay. Here we go. By the way, the humidity in the room makes all the difference because oh. there's, just hold it there for a second. Interesting. Well, look at that. It's very, very weak. Very weak. Interesting. Why is charged? Because normally I can make this go a couple feet. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a charge. <laughs> we should make a song out of it. Hmm. Hmm. Now it's going the wrong way. Yeah. So it's charged, so we have like charges, don't we? Whew. <laughs> We'll have to go back to work on that, won't we? Uh, thank you. Yeah, we'll try that. The humidity really, really makes a difference. So this, we'll this work is on this more, more of a humid room, so if the humidity is higher... Then, then the electricity, the electrons, uh -huh. have a path to get okay. away, so they're not trapped. So you have to have a very dry room. Uh -huh. If these people are not breathing so much... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about one of my favorite forms of static electricity. Static electricity is electrons that are trapped and they can't get away. Uh -huh. They're trapped on a piece of plastic that's non-conductive. 
They're trapped in the Leyden jar, but they're also trapped in clouds. Now, one of the things that scientists are having a hard time agreeing on is exactly why it is that a charge builds up in the cloud. We know it's because of air and particles, maybe little pieces of ice or water moving around, but somehow they build up a static electricity charge. And I'd like to show you a couple little videos of lightning in the cloud. Now, lightning is when a charge of electricity, a collection of electrons builds up. Most lightning shoots from one part of a cloud to somewhere else in the same cloud. Okay, let's look at one of those. See if you can see the lightning shooting within the cloud. See, it's in the cloud. Mm -hmm. It's not going to the ground. It's in the cloud. Sometimes, however, you build up enough electrons in the cloud and a positive charge because the electrons in the cloud push the electrons away on the Earth. Then you get a big differential voltage, and then you see a cloud-to-ground strike. Let's take a look at one of those. This one's pretty neat. Oh, cool. Isn't that, that amazing? That is amazing. It's quite beautiful, actually. Lightning is very, very beautiful. You know, we ought to say a little bit it. about it. Tornadoes are scary. Mm -hmm. Hurricanes are scary. But lightning is more dangerous than both. Mm -hmm. Each year in the United States, 100 people are killed by lightning. And you really need to be careful to be out in a lightning storm. Uh, if there is lightning, they suggest you go indoors or inside a car with a hard top, not just a cloth top, because it can be very, very, very dangerous. Well, now there's another kind of lightning that's kind of neat. It's the kind of lightning that goes up. It comes out of the earth and it shoots up to the cloud. Let's see if we can show you some of that. Isn't that wild? Now they say, let's see that one more time. It's kind of fun. There's a lot we can talk about lightning. And of course, the thing that goes with lightning is thunder. Mm -hmm. And um, a bolt of lightning makes sense because you've got a big collection of electrons and there's such a collection that they want to get apart from each other. They're all repelling because they're a like charge. You have a negative charge down on the earth. And so if it can make a path, it will jump to the earth and will have a very large current of electricity flowing all of a sudden. And we, we're talking about a temperature of around 50,000 volts. And when that bolt of lightning goes striking through the air, with 50,000, uh, excuse me, it's, it's more volts than 50,000 degrees. It actually be much higher voltages. It causes the air molecules to just immediately start vibrating fast and they blast apart and they create a shock wave like a speaker. And that shock wave moving at near the speed of sound is what we call thunder. So it's the air being split apart by the uh, high temperature of the lightning. Now, something kind of interesting that uh, everybody ought to know is how to tell how far, how far away a storm is. Sometimes it's good to know how far a storm is. For example, what if I look over there and I say, okay, that storm is 10 miles away. 
Then a little bit later, you look at it and say, okay, that storm is now five miles away. It's coming right towards me. And you know to take cover. Well, how can you tell? Well, you look, storms can be big or little, so you can't tell just by looking. But you can do it with a little bit of science. Okay, I've got a, a drawing here to show you. Look, I can even almost get it straight. This little person here is Page A. <laughs> I was you, wondering Well, was you can tell by how she's standing. Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> and me. over here, this, this is a cloud okay. that is a, a thunderstorm, and it's making lightning. And so Page A is watching the cloud, and okay. she sees the lightning, and then a few seconds later, she hears the thunder. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. If the lightning is causing the thunder... Why do you see the lightning before you hear it? And the answer is, the light of the lightning is traveling to her eyes at the speed of light, which means it seems instantaneous to her. When the lightning shoots out, she immediately sees it. The sound wave of the thunder starts traveling to her at the speed of sound which is just a little bit faster than a jet airline travels. The speed of sound is about five miles per second. Okay, and if you know that, you can do something kind of magical using your science and math skills. When you see a lightning, you start counting. One, 1,000, two, 1,000. You see, I'm counting in one-second intervals. Mm -hmm. So you start timing in seconds. One, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, four. If you get up to the number five, and then you hear the thunder, then you know that it took five seconds for it to get to you. All right? So if you divide the number that you counted by five, you will know how many miles away it is. All right, so five seconds, now is that right, Mark? In five seconds, it's one mile away. So you can, you can time it that way and make that little calculation. It's kind of an interesting thing to do. Some of the guys that uh, have a little bit of science training, they're out hiking or something and, and they see a thunderstorm, they see lightning, they all start going, oh, <laughs> it's two and a half miles away, and it's kind of a neat thing to be able to try it. Next time you see a thunderstorm, figure out how far it is. And for heaven's sakes, be very, very respectful of lightning. Another thing that you want to remember, if you're out somewhere in a storm and there's a chance of lightning, uh, you don't want to be the tallest thing. If you're up on a hill, not a good place. You don't want to stand next to the tallest thing. If there's a big tall tree, you don't want to hide under that because it'll attract the lightning. On the other hand, sometimes you have something really tall and it'll strike something really low. Lightning kind of goes where it goes and it can be really dangerous, but it's also really beautiful. When you understand it, it can, can be really awesome. Does lightning, make, does lightning make a smell? Is that where the ozone comes from, or is it? The, the lightning does make a smell. Mm -hmm. It makes the ozone, and it also makes the nitrogen dioxide we talked about before, mm -hmm. which is the way of fixing the nitrogen so plants can use it. 
And remember, plants need nitrogen to grow as a fertilizer. And some plants need a lot of nitrogen, like things like grass and wheat, those kinds of plants need a lot of nitrogen. And so when you see a lightning bolt, that's actually Mother Nature fixing nitrogen into a form plants can use. Air is 80% nitrogen, but plants can't just use nitrogen. It has to be reacted or fixed nitrogen. And by reacting nitrogen with oxygen in the air, then plants are able to use it. So one of the reasons that our, our forests and, and our, our beautiful fields stay green and healthy is partly because of the fertilizer made by those thunderstorms. They're very important. It's interesting to me that the way that a thunderstorm works is so complex. There's very big updrafts, there's downdrafts, it's that uh, physical action, like when I was rubbing the tube, that somehow generates these electron differential uh, potentials. And yet, the more science studies it, the more complicated it seems to get. But thunderstorms are one of the reasons we're able to live on this planet because they water, uh, they water the nation, and then at the same time they create the fertilizer. And I think they smell amazing. I love thunderstorms. Do you? Yes. I do too. But be careful. Yeah. Don't don't be caught out there unprotected because it really really can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder if anybody has. Uh, has ever had uh, any experience in seeing a thing called ball lightning. Ball lightning is kind of an interesting, after there's a big bolt of lightning, and usually when you see a bolt of lightning, it's not just one bolt, it actually uh, comes down from the cloud usually, and then it goes back up, and then it comes down, and it does this like 30 times. Hmm. And there's an interesting trick you can do if you want to take a picture of the different rays of the lightning. Uh, some scientists have very, very high-speed cameras that take a lot of images per second, and even they have a hard time catching all the bolts of lightning. But you can do it with just a regular uh, camera if you can get a timed exposure. A timed exposure means that the, the lens opens, and it might be for a second or two or three, or some of them you can set like up to 10 seconds so it'll stay open. It's good for taking pictures of dark scenery like the stars. But if you can get a camera that'll stay open for a little while, when you think the lightning's gonna strike, you open your lens and then you sweep it like this. And as the lightning strikes, every strike will be in a different position. And when you look at your picture, you'll see like 30 different lightning strikes because as you moved it, they all came in different places. That's really That's neat. It's kind of a neat thing to see. That's really neat. Yeah. Really, really interesting and, and life-sustaining phenomenon. So when you hear thunderstorms, it's good to kind of uh, realize how important they are. They're sustaining your life. Another thing that's kind of interesting, have you ever heard how the thunder rolls? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, that's kind of mysterious because why would it roll? Now some of you say, well, you know, I, uh, I hear storms, I go to sleep, but I never worry about why it rolls. <laughs> and I think to myself, wait until you become more of a scientist. 
And then you say, now that doesn't make sense. There's got to be a reason that the thunder rolls. And you go, just like it's rolling across the sky. Well, if it's a bolt of lightning, very high speed, and all the thunder is being created instantaneously, then why does it roll? And some people make up a lot of stories. Well, that's the sound of the air banging back to you. It's just not accurate. <laughs> so why does it roll? Our little guy on this drawing, this little Peugeot, can tell us why the thunder rolls. Go ahead, Peugeot. Yeah, so you can write a really good country song. <laughs> thunder rolls. Okay, let's, yep, let's actually answer. look at this and see if we can figure out why. Let's suppose that this cloud is 50 miles. It's, it's a great big uh, thunderstorm, and it's 50 miles from tip to tip. Mm -hmm. And let's say then we have a bolt of lightning that goes like so. Now, this bolt of lightning is one distance. So when you start counting out, waiting for the sound to get to your ears, this noise is going to get to you first. But the noise that came from here has to go farther. So it's going to get there later, and the noise from here has to go farther yet. And that's why it sounds like, and, and if you hear it, it's like it's just gradually rolling. That's because you're hearing from here and here and all of those coming through. When you realize that, it makes it more fun to listen to thunder. And you, you need to really respect this because, like Ben Franklin said, not the way to cook your turkey <laughs> because it's got a lot of power. And remember, he got really interested in this stuff. He even went out and sent some kites to find out if the electricity in these clouds is the same as electricity that you make by rubbing something together. And uh, he did some pretty interesting experiments. He tried to capture lightning in a Leyden jar. And he did. And he found out it is the same thing. It's the same concentration of electrons that we get when we rub our feet across the, the carpet or when we rub a piece of uh, plastic in a piece of wool. Important invention. Uh, he went on and did a lot of very interesting things. Um, he came up with the idea of creating a lightning rod. If you put a metal tube up above your house, and tie it to the ground with a big ground cable, the lightning will usually hit it instead of your house, instead of doing damages. And a lot of our buildings have lightning rods today to protect them, which is a neat thing. But you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin was a very interesting guy. And do you think he would stop there? Mm -mm. No. So he's got a rod up above the house, and he would just wait for the lightning to come and hit it, you know, and see it hit his rod and come down through the ground wire down to and then dissipate in the earth. But he says, you know, sometimes it's hard to know if I actually got hit by lightning or not. So he invented a little thing inside his parlor. And this was a bowl kind of like a little fish tank, fish bowl. And he brought the wire from outside down and then he skipped a little piece where there was no wire, and then he had another wire going on down to the ground. So that when the lightning came, it had come down the wire, but it couldn't get to ground because there was a gap, so it had to jump that gap. And when electricity jumps a gap, it makes a spark. 
So he'd make lightning inside the house. And he actually made those and sold them to people so that you could watch the lightning hit your lightning rod. And I think that's pretty neat. You kind of remind me of Ben Franklin sometimes. Well, um, you do. Very inquisitive. You don't is, give is up. Is that a compliment? It's, I like Ben Franklin. It's yeah, a very I'm, good I'm a lot compliment. like him. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. It's, you know, uh, Benjamin Franklin was a great scientist. He was. I uh, he used to write an al- almanac, mm-hmm. you know, almanac that would tell people when was probably a good time to plan and things mm-hmm. like that. And he was there when they created our U.S. Constitution. And he was one of the people that contributed heavily in figuring out how to set up a government so that no one person would be able to get in control of it like a king, but everybody would get a say in it. And mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing how good government is with that kind of thing. He also was the guy that went to France when we were having a little misunderstanding with the king in England, mm-hmm. and, and we kind of had the <clears throat> Revolutionary War. Well, he went to France and met with the French people and said, you know, you really ought to help us win this war. And probably without the help of the French, um, we, we may still be part of England. So, and, and we love England, don't we? But we're pretty independent. We kind of want to be our own little nation. So Benjamin Franklin was was one of those guys that changed history a lot, and he he did a lot of really good things. He was also one of the founders of the American Academy of Science in Boston, Mm -hmm. and uh, they actually collected one of the best libraries of scientific books from all over the world, and then later those were acquired by the Hall Library right here in Kansas City. It's one of the reasons why we have one of the best collection of scientific books anywhere in the world. It's kind of fun. So I was thinking about your thunder and your lightning and realizing sometimes... Actually, they're not mine. Well, I was... They, they belong <laughs> to everybody. That's true. We all get to enjoy it. But sometimes thunder can sound um, so intense it can be a little bit frightening. Yeah. And I was thinking that when that lightning goes through, maybe it's the thunder that's a little bit afraid because then it has to make that sound. The thunder is afraid, yeah. so it makes the sound. Yeah, so when the lightning strikes and the clouds push away, it's not really us being having to be afraid of the thunder. It's the thunder moving out of the lightning's path. Oh, because it doesn't want to get shocked. Yeah. But actually, the part that makes the noise is the part that got shocked. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. It's, it's probably the air experiencing the zap uh-huh. So just to tie about. it all in, because mm-hmm. sometimes it just you can feel it right in the center of your body. Have you actually it's been hit by lightning right in the center of your body? I haven't, n- <laughs> no, but I felt the thunder okay. and the rumble in there. <laughs> well, I can imagine what it would sound like if you oh, were. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, isn't science wonderful? It is. Because it is when we take things like lightning mm-hmm. and thunder that everybody sees and happens all around us, and we start trying to understand it. By studying the thunderstorms and the lightning and the way they fix nitrogen fertilizer for our plants, we were able to go back to the laboratory and make our own nitrogen fertilizers so that in between thunderstorms we'd be able to fertilize our plants. Amazing. And that's one of the reasons why we can feed so many more people now because we learned from nature and then we went out and did ourselves. And that's the work of scientists is to see 
what everybody sees, but to see it with more understanding and to have a method of trying to unravel what's really happening that is so uh, tied up with experimentation and feedback that we really begin to understand it enough to even be able to tame it, tame the technology and make it work for us. And I think that's pretty exciting. I do too. So I was realizing I wasn't a very good sport about this little device here, mm -hmm. and I'll be better sport next time. Well, actually, I think you taught us all to be very careful <laughs> whenever we're with a science person. <laughs> you know what? Please listen. Please, please observe that. Yes, yes. I will be a better sport next we, time. We have a, you know, the first year of studying at the university, you're called a freshman. Some people call ninth graders freshmen, too. Mm -hmm. There's freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And in the laboratory, we have a little joke. When you get to the part where someone has to touch that and see if they can get the zap, mm -hmm. we say, okay, we need a freshman. Because <laughs> they don't know any better? Because sophomores know. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> They've already been a freshman. I've already done mine, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll it, be, I will support better next it time. It is, yeah. <laughs> really? Uh -huh. Okay, That's so next week we'll be talking about Tesla coils. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go back and on my words, so be nice. <laughs> I want to point out on the little uh, mm -hmm. experiment that had the, the glass beads dropping through that were all lit up, oh. the reason that it didn't charge it uh -huh. is because it has a transformer in there and the current is alternating. So it goes positive, oh. then it goes negative, positive, negative. So it charges it up and uncharges it charge it up and then charge it uh -huh. 60 times a second. And that's why it doesn't build up a charge in a Leyden jar. In a Leyden jar, you need to always have it be Constant. the same direction, being always negative or always positive. That was a neat thing, though. Your fire in the bottle, that was pretty neat. Yeah, that is pretty neat. It's yeah. a nice, nice finale, isn't it? It is. They liked it. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. There is in here a controlled atmosphere and so as this drops, the voltage almost makes it look like fire. And mm -hmm. I, I just think that's really a lot it of fun. Is. If if put my finger on you, see I can pull the fire a little bit towards me because I am like a grounding source and I let the current flow. But uh, also, if you look in the bottom, you can see the little sparkles down there. Can you see that? It's really oh, yeah. kind of pretty. I think it's a beautiful piece of science art one of my treasures. We should give it a name. We should. Something with fire. Something with fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you think, guys? If you want to find out what we decide to name it, <laughs> tune in later. Okay, thank <laughs> you. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you next week. Have a great night.